The year 2024 for us as a church is all about bold prayers, bold faith, bold moves. We're praying bold prayers, we're gonna have bold faith, and we're gonna make some bold moves. And today I wanna read a story from the Gospels of a woman who I believe we actually see all three of these characteristics in her. It's found in Matthew chapter 15. I see a woman who comes and asks boldly for her daughter to be healed. I see bold faith in that she is persistent and will not be denied. And I see a bold move as for her as a woman, also as a Gentile, an outsider, a woman to come and to approach Jesus even when Jesus is in her circle, his disciples are trying to get rid of her. She makes the move and persists in that move. So she's a great example to us today about what bold prayers, bold faith, and bold moves look like. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21, says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Bold prayers, bold faith, bold moves. Let's talk about bold prayers for a moment in this woman. And, you know, there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to bold prayers. There's a lot of people that pray bold prayers. But what I want to highlight today in this lady is I believe she has mastered the art of the ask. She has mastered the art of the ask. And, you know, as a father, you know, there's sometimes my children ask me for things and I'm like, no, ain't no way. But then there's a certain way when, when I know they really are wanting something and they ask in such a way, man, when they ask the right way, I'm telling you, as a dad, it makes a difference to me. And uh, I think this woman has mastered the art of the ask. And when it comes to prayer, it's so simple, but we must not forget that we must ask. This woman was an outsider, yet she knew enough to come before Jesus and to ask. As children of God, this is our right and our obligation to come to God and to ask. Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, pray for daily bread. So listen, it is good, it is right to come and to make our requests known to the Lord. The great Charles Spurgeon tells us this, he says, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Jehovah says to his own son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. If the royal and divine son cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect 
the rule to be relaxed in our favor. If you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how vital prayer is. This is such a, a great reminder today. And we see it, you know, in the Gospels, not just in this story, but we see it many times in the Gospel stories. Uh, a lot of the people that get healed in the Gospel stories are people that are just in the crowd. They're just in a crowd and Jesus is on his way somewhere. Jesus is just passing by them. He doesn't go to that crowd to heal them. He's just passing by on his way to something else. But then the people who need something, they'll cry out. They'll be willing to get Jesus's attention and they're willing to ask and they ask very specifically. And the text pretty much implies if they had not cried out, if they had not stopped Jesus, if they had not asked, then they never would have seen the miracle. Can I remind you what the book of James says? You have not because you ask not. Could it be that there are some things that God wants to give you? There are some things that uh, you could have in your life, but you don't have them because you're not asking. I'm telling you, there is a power when we come before God and we ask. It's amazing. Blind Bartimaeus, right? He screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind. And when Jesus finally turns his attention towards Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, why would Jesus even ask that question? He's blind, Jesus. Of course, what he wants you to do for him is for him to see. He wants to be healed so he can see. Yet Jesus makes Bartimaeus say it. He makes him verbalize it. He makes him express it. Tell me, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see Jesus. I want to walk. This lady is, I want my daughter to be healed. She's tormented, oppressed by a demon. Something happens when we ask. The great Archbishop William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. There is something about asking. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen, it's all throughout the Bible. You can read it from Genesis to Revelation, and you will see those who get prayers answered from God are those who are willing to ask. Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, and God showed him his glory. Joshua asked for the sun to stand still during a battle, and the sun stood still. Hannah asked the Lord for a baby boy, and God gave her Samuel. Jabez asked the Lord, bless me, enlarge my territory, let no pain come to me. And God answered his request. Uh, in the New Testament, we see this woman who asks for her daughter to be healed, and she is healed. Bartimaeus asked 
to be healed of his blinded eyes and he's healed. The Roman centurion asked Jesus to speak a word and his servant would be healed and it was so. Peter asked Jesus if he could come out on the water and Jesus said, come. Listen, it's all throughout the scriptures. When you ask and you ask with the right heart, with the right motive, you are in Christ. I'm telling you, when you ask, he hears. What are you asking God for right now? What are you specifically asking him for? Make bold prayers. Secondly, I see bold faith in this woman. And I don't just see it, Jesus saw it. Jesus, I mean, imagine, that's gotta be the compliment of a, of a lifetime. Jesus looks at you and says, oh, great is your faith. Jesus said, you've got mega faith. Well, what's the evidence that she has mega faith? It's in her persistence. She didn't quit. She didn't give up. She persevered in her prayer. You know, part of what really sticks out to me in this passage is that this lady does not get offended at Jesus. When, G, when, 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 when the answers to our prayers are delayed and sometimes even seemingly denied, how do we respond? Do you get offended? Do you get offended at God? Do you get offended at Jesus and give up? You know, there's a story. I don't know if you remember the story of when John the Baptist is in prison. And this is John the Baptist who's been so sure that Jesus is the Messiah at the beginning of the gospel, right? He's preaching hellfire and judgment on everybody. He's telling every God, is, God has finally come and he's gonna bring the kingdom. But then after a while, John gets to looking around and he realizes, where's this kingdom at? <laughs> I thought Jesus was bringing the kingdom. Why is Rome still in charge? Why hasn't Jesus kicked Rome out? Why is the, the temple and the priests, they're all still corrupt? What's going on? And he's in jail awaiting execution. And he's just scratching his head wondering, dude, did I miss it? Did, did, I, did I miss something? Did I get something wrong? And John sends some of his disciples and he, and he says, go and ask Jesus, are you really the one? Or do we need to keep looking for somebody else? And do you remember Jesus' reply? Jesus says, tell John, and his, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. Number one, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised again, and the poor have good news preached to them. And he ends it all by saying this, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Listen, offense is a strategy of the enemy to block God's blessings in your life. Offense is one of the biggest enemies. It's one of the biggest traps of Satan. If the enemy can get you offended at another brother or sister in Christ, or even offended at God himself. He is going to be able to block the blessing of God in your life. Jesus said there's a blessing and not being offended. And it's so interesting. I was listening to the testimony of a guy who was very high in witchcraft, very high in the occult. And the witches know that when people, when a group of people covenant together and they come together an agreement in prayer that it weakens their power, that they don't have the ability to do as, you know, as much uh, damage really for, for, for the darkness. And, and so 
the witch was saying, he was saying, one of the things we do when we know there's a group of people, when we know there's a group of praying people and we see that their prayers are having a, a, a powerful effect, what we do is we actually start studying the people. They even said we send plants into the prayer meeting. We send plants to the church. We go in and we fake like we're a part of the church and we find ways, we find weak points in them. We find where they can be offended and we, 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 we poke on that, we prod on that. We find offense, ways that we can put offense in believers' hearts because if we can put offenses in their heart and we can get them mad at each other, then we can stop the power of their prayers. Listen, when you are offended, when you are hurt and bitter and, 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 you, and you hold a grudge in your heart, you are blocking the blessing and the power of God in your life. This woman refused to be offended. If you go back and you look at the original context of the scripture, earlier in chapter 15, Jesus offends the Pharisees. That's the exact language that the text says, that the Pharisees took offense at Jesus because Jesus spoke against one of their traditions. He called them out on one of their man-made traditions that the actual law of God doesn't say and they took offense at Jesus. Well, here's this woman. She is flat out denied three times from Jesus and then seemingly called a derogatory name by Jesus. Listen, the first time she cries out. With all of her heart, she comes to Jesus and she's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. And the Bible says he answered her not. Jesus ignored her. He was silent. Oh my goodness. You know, maybe you've seen it. Others have cried out to Jesus and he responds. You've seen other people cry out to God. You've, you've seen them lift their hands and we sing that song. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. And, and, and you see people praising the Lord and, and they're rejoicing because God heard their prayers and you get mad because you prayed and you felt like God didn't hear you. You felt like Jesus was silent. Well, here is Jesus silent. Jesus has left this woman on red. Jesus has ghosted this lady. But you know what? He, she doesn't quit. She doesn't stop. It says she goes and kneels before Jesus and says, Lord, help. But what does Jesus do? He says, woman, I didn't come here for you. My mission is not you. You're, you're. Jesus was in a different region. He was outside of Jerusalem. He was in Tyre and Sidon. He wasn't in Jerusalem anymore. He wasn't in Judea. He was, in that, he was out of you know, where he was sent. And he was saying, I, I didn't come for you, lady. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. She's a Gentile. She's an outsider, a non-Jew. And Jesus really responded how faithful Jews and even those disciples would expect him to. You know, according to the theological tradition of the elders, this Canaanite widow was excluded from the Abrahamic covenant. She, she's not worthy, really, of an audience of the Messiah. But again, it doesn't stop her. She won't be denied. She refuses to be offended. And she cries out even more, Lord, help. And Jesus answered, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The widow, again, she's a Canaanite. She's a member of a disinherited place, a displaced people. 
the Canaanites are the sworn enemies of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. In the eyes of the Jews, she was a dog, a dehumanized, godless pagan. Now, at this point, I mean, surely this woman should be offended. Could you imagine if this was the 21st century America and Jesus looks at a lady and calls her a dog and says, I'm not helping you, you dog. <laughs> I mean, that would be the front. Religious leader calls woman a dog. I mean, it would be front page news in the paper. She would be filing a plaint with the ACLU, you know, and it would just be, it would, it would be one thing. But her response is incredible. Her response is phenomenal. Listen, she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. She says, you know what, Jesus, I know I'm a dog. I know I'm a Canaanite. I know I'm not from the right background or the right place. I, I know I don't deserve a, a, a seat at the table with the children of Abraham. I'm not one, actually, Jesus. But she said, even the dogs get the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I mean, this lady is incredible. She gets it. She gets the bread. Now, why this is amazing is because she understands what the disciples have failed to understand. In the narrative, Jesus twice multiplies bread to feed thousands. One time, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a couple of pieces of bread and some fish. Another time, Jesus feeds 4,000 with just a couple of pieces of bread and some fish. And between the two times, it says that they collect 19 baskets of leftovers. So Jesus has more than enough bread. Jesus has more than enough for the children of Israel. The Lord is the God of more than enough. He's the bread of life. And yet the Pharisees reject the bread of Jesus. And the disciples have yet to grasp the significance of the bread. But here's this woman. She comes from sworn enemy of Israel. She gets the bread. She says, I know, I know I'm an outsider. I know I don't have a seat at a table. I know I'm just a dog, but all I need is a crumb. All I need is one morsel of all that bread you got left over there. I don't need all of that. Just give me a crumb, Jesus. Just one word, Jesus. Just one touch. Just one moment in your presence, Jesus, is better than a thousand elsewhere. Even if I don't have a seat at the table, God, just let me be under the table. What a response from this woman. You see, you know, that's how you're saved. That's how you're saved. Oh, let me, let me, let me teach you something about prayer. <laughs> you don't deserve anything. I love that. We sing this song. Uh, uh, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Who are we to ever think that God owes us something? God doesn't owe us a thing. He doesn't have to do another thing for you in order for him to be a good God. No, he's already good. He's already been good. This is who he is. This lady comes and she says, yes, I know I don't deserve it. You know that's how you get saved. The way you get saved is when you realize you're not good enough. The way you get saved is when you realize on your best day, you can never be deserving of the grace of God. It's when you know you don't deserve it that's when salvation will come to your house. She knows she doesn't deserve it, but she also knows that Jesus is, has more mercy than she could ever dream of having. That's how you get saved. You know you don't deserve it, but you also know God is more loving than you could ever dare to imagine. That's the gospel. You're more broken and sinful than you ever dared to dream, but you are more 
loved than you could ever hope to be. That's the gospel. She gets it. This woman has great faith. I don't know about you, but I want to have great faith. Maybe sometimes you feel like the man who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In a world that is just very cynical, in a world full of cynicism, I don't want to be cynical. I want to have childlike faith. I want to pray and trust my Father in heaven. And when you start talking about faith, sometimes things can get a little weird. I just want to say a few things about faith. Number one, faith is not a formula. Some people talk about faith as if it's a math problem or a scientific formula. If you just do this plus this, boom, faith and a miracle pops out. I want to say faith is not a formula. And God is not a genie where all you have to do is rub the lamp and he's ready to grant your wishes. You know, I love the scene in that famous children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the little girl Lucy, she learns that the great ruler of Narnia is Aslan, the lion. And she asks the question, she says, is he safe? And I love Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then Mr. Thomas chimes in and says, he's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. I love that. God is not a tame lion. Jesus, the lion of Judah, is not a tame lion. Meaning you can't just snap your fingers and he moves at your command. Sometimes God doesn't just, he, he doesn't just fit in the boxes that we put him in or the cage that we put him in. Even in this story, uh, Jesus is not, maybe you think Jesus is not acting how you would expect him to act towards this woman. Why? Because he's not a tame lion. You know, this woman is doing the exact same thing that the Roman centurion does in chapter eight. He comes to Jesus, pleads for Jesus to come and heal his servant. And Jesus ends up just speaking a word and healing him. But the Roman centurion doesn't have to endure silence. He doesn't endure any ridicule for Jesus. Jesus just does it. And it's like, wow, why? It, it, it was like this for the Roman centurion. Why is it different if faith is a formula, why couldn't she just do exactly what he did and get the exact same results? And it's because faith is not a formula and God is not a tame lion. And here's another thing. We don't have faith in our faith. Some people have faith in the amount of faith they have. Our faith is not in formula and it's not in faith. We have faith in a person. Faith is not something we just conjure up, but faith is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I like this quote from Pete Gregg. He says, if you want to trust Jesus more, get to know him more, look at him more, listen to him more, spend more time with him. It's really that simple. The more you see Jesus, the more you trust him because he's the most reliable, loving, and powerful person you will ever meet. Fix your eyes on Jesus, urges the writer of Hebrews, because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Did you hear that? The, the book of Hebrews, which is about faith, doesn't say, all right, now stir your faith up, grunt your teeth real hard, and go have faith, and squeeze out faith, and you're just going to stir something up. He says, no, how do we have faith? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We see Jesus, we look at him, we gaze upon him. And the result that comes from that 
is faith. Faith comes from that. That's what this woman has done. She's locked her eyes on Jesus. She wouldn't take them off of him. She knew that only he had the solution. She knew nothing else was going to do except for him to move. Let's end today by talking about bold moves. Bold moves. Bold prayers, bold faith, bold moves. This woman makes a move, literally, physically. She had to make a move towards Jesus. Again, this is bold. Even the Jesus' disciples, his inner circle was trying to get her out of there, but she made the move anyways. And here is something that even I am learning in my own life, that there is a time to pray about something, but then there is, time, there is a time to make a move. I've been taught God will hit a moving target, target meaning you got to step out. You got to do something. Faith is a verb. Faith is action. You got to do something. This lady steps out. You know, it's like you can't expect a crop if you haven't put any seeds in the ground. You got to do something. You know, there have been times and things in my life where I feel God stirring something on the inside of me, God-given desires. And I'll take a step towards that God-given desire. And it's like, boom, God brings the the thing that I need for that to come to pass. And, you know, I, (laughs) I say that, but I also wanna say this. If you're halfway living for God, I'm not talking to you today. If you're halfway living for God, the desires you got stern in you probably aren't God-given desires. They're fleshly desires. But to the people that are fully consecrated and set apart for God, it's possible he's stirring something in you. He's putting desires in your heart and he's just dropping those desires in there. But at some point, you have to take the step towards those desires. And then faith has been activated. God can work with that. God can move on that. Okay, remember, Peter, Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Why? Because he had a word from Jesus. If Peter didn't have a word from Jesus, it would have been very stupid and boneheaded for him to get out of the boat. But Jesus said, come. But once Jesus says, come, he has actually got to get out of the boat and start walking. And Peter, you know, he's not walking on water. He's really walking on the word that he had from Jesus because Jesus said, come. Someone sent me a message this Sunday, and I, and I want to share it with you. They sent it to me in a text about this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I think it's so on point for this message today. They text me, and they said, I feel the Lord is saying people need to prepare for the answers to their prayers. For the prodigal, prepare that room for them to come home. For the child, prepare that nursery for the baby's arrival. For the job, go and buy the tools you need in faith that you're gonna get the job. For finances, go ahead and tithe on what is needed. And it's just, it's, it is, it, I have seen it time and time again when people take a step of faith. Their, their, their hearts are wholly submitted to God. This isn't God is my magic genie. This is I'm trying to follow God in faith. You take that step and, and, and see if God doesn't move on your behalf. Now, I want to end this sermon today because every time you talk about prayer and faith and doing bold things, there's always those people in the room that say, yeah, but what about that one time? What about that one time I prayed with all my heart and I didn't get what I was looking for? What about that one time and asked and I didn't receive? And you know, that could be for many reasons. Sometimes it could be just you need to keep on asking. 
Someone told me this week they've been praying about something for 11 years. 11 years. And it happened during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. They'd done 21 days of prayer and fasting for 11 years, but it was this year when it happened. So for some of us, we just need to keep on asking. But what do you do if you get a no from God about something you really want? What do you do then? What about your faith then? Well, I think we got to do what Hebrews tells us to do. We got to fix our eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith. Because you want to know what? Even Jesus got a no in his lifetime. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus got a no. Think about that for a moment. I want to just share with you, uh, this comes from Pete Gregg, his book on prayer, which is really good. How do we deal with the, 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 the trials we walk through and it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers when we had faith? What do we do with that? We do what Jesus did. Mark 14, 35 through 37, it says, And going a little farther, far further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is wrestling under the stress of the cross. Is there any other way, Father? Not this, not the cross. Any other way. Look at his prayer. Here's just a few things from this prayer to help you if your prayers seemingly go unanswered. First, Jesus says, Abba, Father. When your prayers seem to go unanswered, you may be tempted to believe that God's love for you has diminished. The enemy will scream in your ear, if God really loved you, he wouldn't make you walk through this. That's a lie. God's love for you is non-negotiable. As much as you wanna pull away from God in times you don't understand the trial, that is the time to lean into him evermore. It says Jesus prayed more earnestly in the garden. Let him be your comfort. He is still your Abba, Father, even in the midst of a seeming unanswered prayer. Next, Jesus says, all things are possible. When your prayers seem to go unanswered, you'll be tempted to doubt the power of God. Even in the darkest hour, Jesus still believes God can do all things. He believes that God has never lost a battle. And maybe there's someone watching today and you've prayed about something and it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, you said, that's it. I'll never trust like that again. I'll never pray for someone to be healed again. I'm not praying for another breakthrough because I don't want to be disappointed again. I want to tell you, don't let your disappointment lead you to doubting God's power. Pray again. Pray again. Believe again. Let Jesus take you back to the moment where you stop believing and let him show you that he is the resurrection and the life again. Then Jesus says, take this cup from me. This is honesty. Jesus was honest. You can be honest with God when you pray. If you're mad, that's okay. Take that madness to him. You got complaints, take it to him. Get in his face. Don't run away from him. That's what Job did. Job demanded an audience with God and he got in God's face. 
He did never got the, the why behind all that he had to go through. And you're not going to get the why either. If you're looking for the why, the Bible never gives us the why. It only ever tells us, here's what happened. Now, here's what's going to come out of this. We only ever get what happens because of the trials. We don't get the why of the trial. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Don't run away. And then lastly, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus relinquishes control. I want to say something. People of great faith are not just who people are not just people who get what they want all the time. But people of great faith are those who have learned to trust Jesus. They have learned to trust in God even when they don't understand all that He's doing. There is going to be many things we will not understand, but there is a trust that we must have a peace that transcends understanding, that there is a bigger story at play than this one painful moment in my life, that God is working on a grand masterpiece, that one day we're gonna get his perspective on it and we're gonna be amazed at how he wove together a beautiful tapestry, how he takes the pain and somehow turns it for his glory. Jesus had real pain. Jesus was in anguish. And the Lord did not deliver him out of that pain. He had to walk through that pain. But what was the result of that pain? The result of that pain was you and me. The result of that pain was bringing many sons to glory. It was through his pain that God brought about a great redemption. God has a bigger plan than we could ever imagine. So we're going to pray bold prayers. We're going to ask specifically for things. We are going to have faith and persistence like this lady. We're going to make moves, step out in faith. And we're going to keep asking, even when we go through the trial of delayed answers and maybe even denial, we're going to keep on believing. We're going to have faith when the Son of Man returns. Father, I pray for your people today. Let us be people of bold faith that pray bold prayers and make bold moves. Lord, I thank you for this time of prayer and fasting that we've had. You have moved mightily. And Lord, that you are going to do great things, things that were prayed about. Maybe we don't see the answers now, but we know the answers on the way. We believe it and we ask for it all in your name. Amen, amen. We love you, church. Thank you for being here today. Join us 9 or 11 live every Sunday or 10 o'clock right here on Virtual Church. We will see you soon.